You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ podcast. I'm Berta Twizzleman, one of the BMJ's web editors. This week, our senior research editor, Trish Groves, talks to Paul Little from Southampton University about a whole raft of papers on urinary tract infections. But before all that, I'm joined by Duncan Jarvis with this week's news. Hello, Duncan. Hi, Berta. So what have you got for us this week? Okay, well, the first thing I've chosen this week is about The Lancet retracting the paper that Andrew Wakefield wrote about MMR and the possible link with autism. And the GMC, the General Medical Council, the governing body for doctors in the UK, has found Andrew Wakefield guilty of dishonesty and flouting ethics protocols. So they said that he subjected children to invasive procedures like lumbar punctures and uh, colonoscopy when it wasn't clinically indicated and he was trying to you know, prove his point. The other thing was he failed to disclose to The Lancet that he had actually received money from the Legal Aid Board through a solicitor who was hoping to mount a case against the vaccine makers on behalf of parents. So he was a bit conflicted there. Anyway, finally, after 12 years... The Lancet has retracted that paper. Right. What else have you got for us this week? The second story I've got this week is from the UN, and they're saying secret detention violates human rights and should be banned. This is talking about extraordinary rendition and proxy detention, which we've heard about in the news before. The reason this story made it into the BMJ is that quite a few detainees have said that they were actually treated by doctors or that doctors were in some way complicit with this. Gosh, that's bad news. Yes, doctors have been saying, you know, people inspecting people and saying, yes, that they're fit to continue with the torture. Um, this is a big controversial subject. And uh, we have actually had an analysis piece recently talking about this and whether whether the harm minimization justifies doctors' involvement in this. So if people are interested, they can go and read that. And your last story? My last story is about the conviction in Kansas of an anti-abortion activist who shot a doctor. So what happened? So this guy, Scott Rodo, um, was a fanatical anti-abortion activist. And he actually, before he managed to kill Dr. Tiller, he shot him um, in both arms to try and prevent him from carrying out abortions. Now, this was interesting, particularly because he was trying to plead voluntary manslaughter which under Kansas law is an unreasonable but honest belief that the circumstances existed that justified deadly force. The judge didn't see it this way and he said the jury had the choice of either convicting or acquitting him. And the jury took only 37 minutes to reach its decision. That's right. Thank you, Duncan. Well, that's all for this week's news. Now Trish Groves talks to Paul Little about urinary tract infections. I'm joined now by Professor Paul Little from Southampton University in England. He's going to tell us about a group of papers on managing urinary tract infections in women in primary care. Professor Little, people might be surprised to see new research about what's really quite a common and often minor disorder. But we do know, don't we, that there are gaps in the evidence and now these studies are helping to fill them. So first of all, can you just tell us a bit of background about how common urinary tract infections are in women in primary care? UTI is probably one of the, the, the commonest acute conditions we see. I guess that the, the tension for, for us is that the majority of, of these infections are bacterial and, and most women do get antibiotics. Um, so you'd expect that antibiotics would have a, 
a bigger effect um, in this particular group, but there's the tension of the overuse of antibiotics and the impact of antibiotic resistance. So it was something we were keen to study further. So given that we don't really know which women most need antibiotics when they've got a urinary tract infection, what did you look at in your randomised controlled trial? Yes, well, what we were interested in is, is trying to get some idea of what the alternative management strategies for GPs, uh, what the impact of those might be. So the commonest thing is for, for women to get uh, an immediate prescription for antibiotics. Um, so the, the alternatives that GPs um, use in practice are, I suppose, the, the, uh, the gold standard, if you like, is just to, to wait and see whether a woman has infection by sending in a midstream sample of, of urine and then uh, waiting for around 48, 72 hours for the results and then only treating if there's a confirmed bacterial infection. Um, but other, other sort of commonly used strategies are urinary dipsticks. Thirdly, you can just use your clinical acumen to target antibiotics. And lastly, we were interested in just the simple strategy of, of empiric delayed prescribing. And by that, I mean asking women to wait 48 hours uh, to see whether the symptoms would settle. Because we know, we know symptoms do settle in this illness. It's just that um, it's not a very pleasant thing to live with for women. So in the trial, women were randomised to one of these different approaches. That's right. What was your main outcome measure and what did you find? Our main outcome measure was the severity of symptoms uh, rated by uh, women in, in a daily diary for, for every day until their symptoms settled. And what we found was that actually there was no significant uh, difference in the symptom severity in any of the groups. That's partly because most women ended up taking antibiotics in all the groups, but in in all the groups except immediate antibiotics, there was um, quite an important reduction in antibiotic use uh, in public health terms, so around the 20% mark. Um, but the main result was that actually uh, these strategies are acceptable to women and uh, women are unlikely to suffer very severe symptoms if you offer these alternative strategies. You mentioned acceptability there, and actually you've checked that out, haven't you, by doing a qualitative study with some of the women in the trial? Yes, that's right. Um, I suppose because of our concerns about acceptability, we thought it was very important. Really, uh, what came across from that is just how distressing this condition is, how, how much women struggle with it and the impact it has on their lives. Um, and, and I think the danger in, in, in something like an empirical delayed prescribing strategy um, is that it's, it's very important um, to, to take women's concerns on board um, to acknowledge the sort of uh, journey they've had by the time they, they get to you and, and their very legitimate worries. And those things came out very, very strongly in the, the qualitative work. In the delayed prescribing group, what actually happened to the women? Were they told, come back and see me, or, or how did it work? Ah, yes. Um, just because we wanted to have some idea of, of whether the prescriptions were collected, the doctors were asked to leave a prescription at the front desk, and it was completely up to the women's discretion whether they decided to collect that prescription or not. Um, doctors were allowed to negotiate. So in, in some women, if the women said that they, they definitely wanted to take antibiotics straight away, the doctors were allowed to negotiate that in that group. So it was a, hopefully a sensitive negotiation so that actually only women who were happy with the strategy ended up um, using, the, using the strategy. But, but in fact, most women who, who were randomised to that group did, did wait for the 48 hours 
Um, um, having said that, probably the majority of women, around 80%, still ended up taking antibiotics. But, but nevertheless, there was about a, just over a 20% reduction in antibiotic use overall in that group. And you also looked at the cost, didn't you, in yet another paper? Yes, that's right. Um, The economic analysis has to be treated with a little bit of caution because we didn't really find any meaningful differences in in symptom severity or or time to symptom resolution. But given that slight uncertainty, it turns out that if you you value the cost of a a day with moderately severe symptoms or worse um, of the order of £10 or more, then then using urinary dipsticks is likely to be a cost-effective thing to do. Great. So you've come at this from all these different angles. You've got the trial looking at what works. You've got the economic analysis. And importantly, you've got the paper reporting women's experiences of diagnosis and treatment. So putting all of that together, what would you recommend to women and GPs about the most pragmatic and evidence-based approach when they're trying to treat this condition? Yeah, I, I think this is a, a greyer area than most. But I guess what my own, if you like, learning from this this trial and the other associated data sets is that uh, there are some other quite sensible things you can do, either uh, em- empirically waiting and seeing for 48 hours if they feel that's acceptable, or else um, targeting uh, antibiotic treatment using uh, dipsticks. So those are probably the the, the two things I would, uh, I would I would do in practice as a result of of this research. Along with all the information around the trial, you've also published another paper about urinary tract infection or suspected urinary tract infection in women in primary care. Can you tell us about that one too? It's part of exploring this this tension of antibiotics probably work, but if you overuse them, um, you're likely to get antibiotic resistance. And we know that for urinary tract infection, antibiotic resistance is is relatively common. And so we we wanted to, uh, to explore... Um, what the impact of antibiotic resistance really was likely to be. And what we were able to show is that both those who didn't have antibiotics uh, and who had a resistant organism had around 50% longer duration of of moderately bad symptoms or worse. And so you're really talking there that actually the impact of, of antibiotics overall is saving women around between a day and a half and two days of moderately severe symptoms. Um... The other interesting thing that we looked at in the study, which is, as I say, an observational study, was to try and see if we could identify any predictors of prolonged duration. And the things that came out of, of, of that analysis were um, the, the doctor being, being positive about the natural history and the prognosis uh, seemed to be helpful or seemed to be associated with uh, sooner symptom resolution. And the things that were associated with more prolonged symptom resolution were if the woman had had a past history of cystitis, and actually most of these women presenting to us did have, if there were people who, who had lots of somatic symptoms, so people, people who basically were more likely to somatize um, their somatic symptoms, if you like, and those with severe baseline symptoms. And if you had all of those three variables, in other words, if you'd had a past history of cystitis, um, higher than the average number of somatic symptoms reported and severe baseline symptoms, you are likely to have an illness that lasted around twice as long, so around six to seven days as opposed to to about three and a half days. So really quite useful information for GPs to be able to give some sensible advice um, to women presenting to them about their likely uh, natural history. Well, that's very interesting. Professor Little, thank you for joining us. That's all for this week. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.